If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to the second chapter of the Old Testament book of Daniel, and that would be page 626 in the church Bibles, if that would be some help to you. Page 626, the church Bibles, Daniel chapter 2. While you're turning there, just remember uh, we have been working through Daniel verse by verse since a few weeks ago, roughly four weeks ago, I think it is. And here we are in the middle of chapter 2. So last time we learned that the king had a dream. The king could not discover what the dream meant. He talked to his people. His people could not help him. So he decides he's going to kill them. And so he begins that decree. And here we are in verse 14, um, right smack in the place where we should be. Chapter 2, Daniel Verse 14, let's hear the word of the Lord. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put death, the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom intact. He asked the king's officers, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Excuse me. Verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light, what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come, your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. Amen. Thank God for his word and may God give us understanding of it this morning. Let's, let's pray together, please, as we bow. Was there ever a kinder shepherd, half so gentle, half so sweet, as the Savior who would have us come and gather at his feet? But we make God's love too narrow by false limits of our own. And we magnify his strictness with a zeal he will not own. Father, it is with humility of heart and it is with certainty of need that we gather at your feet this morning asking everything from you which will bring glory to your name and truth and clarity in our minds in the preaching and listening and obeying of your word. Therefore, Father, we declare our weakness in order that Christ's power, that Christ's power may rest on us. As we pray this for his sake, amen. So 
What we have here in this chapter of Daniel is the picture of the servant of the Lord pleading before the face of the Lord in order that people will be saved from death. Okay, so what kind of people? Are they people who have the exact same background as Daniel? No, not most of them. Are they people who have the same line of beliefs as Daniel? No, not most of them. Are these people who are sincere and holy with the same uh, personal and political concerns and convictions as Daniel? No. Okay, then, what kind of people will God's answer to Daniel's prayer save? Well, certainly Daniel and his friends will be saved, but also pagan counselors to a wicked pagan king, counselors who who dabbled in the dark powers of the occult, counselors, as we learned last time, that were necromancers who who spoke or tried to speak to the dead, counselors who had their little dream books and served so-called other gods. And all these people will know that the people of Judah, who, have, who they have soundly defeated on the battlefield, and of course killed and, and pillaged and violated, who are now in the minority group, in exile, in a foreign la- land, they will know that they were saved from death by Judah's God, and by Judah's God's mercy. And they're going to know, verse 47, if your Bible's open, they will know that it was the God of Daniel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, who did what they could not do, reveal the dream and its meaning in order to save them from their own king's decree and therefore save them from death. Now, loved ones, this is why we say here from time to time, when you read your Bibles, you have to read your Bibles backwards and we need to put on our Jesus glasses and see the Old Testament through the lens of the cross. Chapter 2 gives us a picture of God's saving power, salvation power, that God is a God who saves even the most wicked of people. So what we've been saying then is that Daniel in the Old Testament is a picture or a type of Christ and his work in the New Testament. So, so how can we say that? Well, here we have Daniel and his friends, just like Jesus did. They are interceding to God and they are begging God for help so that their prayer will be answered and he's looking to um, save sinners from death. Now, that's what Jesus did in the New Testament. That's what's happening here in chapter 2 of Daniel. And, and now we can say that Nebuchadnezzar, okay, Daniel, a picture of Christ, Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of all of us outside of Christ. Outside of Christ, we are turned in upon ourselves. And we will use anything or anyone, including God or a God or some kind of foreign power, if you would, to get our desired result. Isn't that what Ephesians 2 said? I read from the message this morning. I think I'll stick with the NIV. This is what Ephesians 2 says about us before we became in Christ. You were dead in your transgressions and in your sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of God's wrath. And here we are, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, Daniel was praying for, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. 
Titus 3.5, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. So listen carefully. If you ever teach the book of Daniel, for example, to, to young children, we better, you know, be prepared. Okay, we got the good guy and the bad guy syndrome. We better be able to tell them, okay, Daniel is a picture of Jesus, good guy. And Nebuchadnezzar, he's a picture of you and me outside of Jesus, bad guy. And so what happens here then is Nebuchadnezzar has to come to grips that, that um, there's something beyond him. And the world which he has, and isn't enough for him, it's not going to be around forever. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, you're not going to be around forever. Because the God who made you and made the world, he rules over it, and he's ruling over you. And so we see that Nebuchadnezzar is being frustrated and blocked, and he's being hemmed in by the God of Daniel, who does not want to destroy him. Right? You understand this. This is chapter 4. This God we were going to discover in the coming chapters wants to save him. He wants to lead him to repentance and he's using a dream to kick this whole thing off so that all of God's purposes will be accomplished. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar chapter 2 is a man like all men and women outside of Jesus fueled by their own ambition. Daniel, like Jesus, is a man filled with God's grace. And he wants to have mercy on people and he's preoccupied with serving God to that end. And again, we've been saying this, but we need to say it again. What makes Daniel good here? It's not that Daniel's good. It is because God's grace was graciously given to Daniel. And by the way, you'll notice in chapter one that Daniel doesn't ask God for any of these graces. They're just given to him. You see, that's grace. And so God gave them to him in order that God's purposes would be worked out in this kingdom and in this king and in every kingdom which will follow, culminating in the one kingdom, verse 44, which will crush all others and will endure forever, which is the kingdom of God. Now, I hope you understand this. You see, listen, Daniel's powers weren't given to Daniel so that now Daniel could somehow show us in the 21st century, okay, okay, These are how you use these gifts. You can use them to get into the Oval Office. You can use these gifts to increase your quality of life. Do you feel like you're in the minority group where you can get these gifts and use them for, you could be in the majority and you could be the smart one and you can stand out like Daniel did in front of the whole world and you can get that promotion and you can increase your status or your income or your free time or whatever. He said, that's not what this is for. These gifts as all gifts and graces are given by God for the glory of God, for the purposes of God. They're given so that people can be saved. So here's Daniel's graces, which are given. They're going to save a wicked king. They're going to save the life of wicked counselors, at least for now. And they're going to show the world that our God saves That he is very merciful and he's very kind to the very wicked. And even though Nebuchadnezzar is willing to kill people because he can't get what he needs, the God of Daniel, he wills to save people, even people like Nebuchadnezzar. Now, isn't that how we became Christians? Wicked people like you and like me, saved by God's grace, right? So, so there's no like four-step program to Jesus, right? You got your really, really, really bad. Okay, so then you become a little better and you're only like really, really bad. And you get a little better, then you're just really bad. 
And then you get to the point where you're just bad and like, oh, okay, now I can save you. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. God is gracious and he's merciful to the very wicked and he wills to save them. Before we get on with this, let's just notice as we read through this, salvation and not political domination is the driving force here. And we need to understand that. Well, then verse 14, Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, has been given his assignment. What a lovely assignment. Go put people to death, right? Go put all the wise men to death. We'll take us to our first point. If you have a worship folder, you'll be able to see there, investigation. And as we look at this, it's pretty straightforward, almost a matter of fact. Daniel's counter-reaction to the king's reaction is to reply with wisdom and with tact. And the idea here is that it wasn't just what Daniel said, it was also the way in which Daniel said it. Now, all of us can be held by here. He was speaking to a representative of the king. So someone says, yeah, but it was a pagan king. So what? In the economy of God, authority is authority. Authority is established by God. To respect them is to respect him. How we would treat them is how we would treat Jesus Christ. So the word tact In the Aramaic, remember right here is not Hebrew, it's actually Aramaic. The language of the world is tam, which literally means taste. In other words, Daniel is being very sensitive in this situation. He's being careful, careful, careful. A few months ago, I was drinking a Coke and I was watching a show about wine, believe it or not. And I was learning how there's these special people, these wine tasters, and their palate is so sensitive that when they drink the wine, they can tell you the year it was created. They can tell you the vintage. They can tell you the location, the nation of where these wines are. That's how sensitive they are to the wine that they taste. The same is being true here. Daniel is so filled with God's truth, and he's so filled with God's grace that he's able to discern the highest possible good, including his tone and his tact or his approach to the king's rep here to get the desired result. And of course, this kind of thing doesn't necessarily come with age because Daniel is a teenager here. This comes with grace and obedience to God's word. The more the word of God richly dwells in us, the more sensitive, listen carefully please, the more sensitive, the more careful, the, the more well-mannered we will be in the company of whoever, wherever, in whatever. And that was Daniel. So Daniel's first step was to investigate verse 15, the king's decree. Ariot gives him the explanation to Daniel's investigation. And we see how the grace of God is being displayed in Daniel's life, right? Daniel finds this whole death decree And there's no fatalism at all in Daniel. It's not like Daniel goes, well, I guess I'm going to die. I mean, I guess we're supposed to die, so we're going to die. There's none of that. There's no panic in Daniel, right? Holy buckets, I'm getting out of the country. I'm going to get my stuff together, and I'm going underground. Daniel doesn't do that. Nor does Daniel take a kind of subjective line of thinking, uh, any kind of, we'll call it subjective indication, that he's attempting to discover God's will in this. And then once he discovers God's will, then he'll get on that horse and ride. No. And the reason why I say that is because some people tell us in our day, okay, this is how you should operate in life. Find out what God is doing and then join God in doing it. Now listen carefully. It sounds pretty pious and it also sounds kind of mysterious, if you would. 
But you know, I'm a fairly simple person. I would say God wrote the Bible to tell me what he's doing and therefore what I should be doing so that I don't need to sit on the floor, you know, like cross-eyed to find out what God's doing. Jesus Christ was very clear on the main and plain things that we should be doing. And the main and plain things will take a whole lifetime to do. And you'll remember that Daniel was filled with God's grace, which worked itself out in knowledge and understanding and wisdom. And so he didn't go down that subjective line. No, Daniel is being objective here. He's thinking, if you would, with his Bible open. He's a good, clean, well-mannered Man who just does straightforward action. The God of the Bible is a God of life. Daniel's filled with God. He wants to pray that people will be saved. Hence, the next step, right? He doesn't just bust into the, the um, king's presence. He begins to first ask the king and get his permission so that he can exercise his prayer time. Now, that's important, right? Remember chapter 1, verse 8? When he asked Ashpenaz, Daniel did, for permission to exercise his personal conviction. The same type of thing is happening here for Daniel. It's beautiful. I mean, it's so beautiful. He's going to ask for permission. Oh, king, will you please give me time? So he knows what God's real revealed will is here. Life. The God of the Bible wants to save people. And so he's going to pray to that end. Okay, so... After the investigation, then he has the reception. Verse 16. Somehow Daniel gets a pass and he's received by the king. Now, I want you to be mindful. We've said this before, but Daniel at this time is somewhere between 14 and 19 years old. He just recently finished his three years of training. He's a captive. He's not a native son. Yet somehow he receives audience with the king who's foaming at the mouth and he wants everyone in pieces. How does that happen? How does that happen? I mean, sometimes we could be so familiar with the story, we just skip over that stuff. How does that happen? A young Jewish teenager, wise apprentice man, if you would, he asked for time in order that, verse 16b, he might interpret. And by the way, the Aramaic word would be, would be close to preach. He wants to preach to Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of the dream. I mean, are you kidding me? Nobody likes preaching. What's going on here? Just kidding. Think with me. What is the one thing Nebuchadnezzar was convinced his wise men were stalling for? Verse 8, time. What was the one thing that he was unprepared to give them? Verse 8, time. What is the one thing Daniel is asking for? Verse 16, time. And what is the one thing Daniel gets? Verse 16, time. No wonder he said in verse 21 that God rules over time. You see? And so the writer here, which is probably Daniel, he's keen to tell us that this wisdom and this tack played a key role in getting Daniel time, which in turn will get Daniel to the king, which will in turn get Daniel to pray, which will in turn save people's lives. <coughs> now you get that? Daniel's not being a rebel rouser here. He's not, you know, I'm going to bust into the king and I'm going to give him a piece of my mind and my God is God and his God is nothing. He's not acting like a fool. He's not sticking out his chest. I can guarantee you, if Daniel did that, there would be no reception taking place and Daniel would end in chapter 2. However, because Daniel was well-mannered, 
because he followed the lines of authority since all authority is instituted by God and since he was wise and tactful, grace given to him by God, he said what he needed to say. Boom. Reception. And because God gave Daniel these graces, which worked itself out in this way, the king gives Daniel time and later on, as Daniel prays, God will be merciful and people, remember wicked, evil counselors who dabble in dark things, they're going to be saved as well. Please don't miss that. Please don't miss that. So I think there's at least two ways you could look at this. The first way is, oh, wow, what a great guy is Daniel. What do I need to do to be like him? You could do that, but in my mind, the question in that context smells way too much like a question Jesus was asked twice, right? Jesus, when he walked the earth, he was asked this question by an expert in the law, and he was asked the same question by a rich young ruler, the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, right? I have so much confidence in myself, okay, you just show me what to do, and I promise you I'll do it. I can do this. And what did Jesus have to do? Well, he had to reveal to both when he told the rich young ruler, okay, you're going to have to give up all your gold. And the other, okay, Jewish lawyer, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? Okay, listen, you're going to have to love, care for, spend money on, save your arch enemies, the Samaritans, as a way of life. The point that Jesus was making, you can't do anything. You are powerless. We are all powerless to do something to inherit eternal life. God has to do everything. So when we say, what a great guy Daniel is, what do I need to do to be like him? That's an empty question. It's powerless. The second way we could look at this, and this is the way I'm going to suggest to you, is you could look at this and say, what a gracious God that he would open these doors for Daniel. Oh, how the grace of God amazes me. There's no way this team should be in the presence of that king. But God has linked all their events together one by one. And God has given grace to make it all happen, right? 1 Corinthians 1.30, it is because of him. Give me a little freedom. It's because of him, Daniel, that people are going to be saved. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who's become our wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boast, boast in the Lord. By the way, when you, when you think of those two choices, in my mind, you know, right now Daniel is in the presence of God. Daniel would be like, don't say my name anymore. Please, do not say my name anymore in the presence of God. Say, what a gracious God. Don't say, dare to be like Daniel. Say, gracious God. Don't be safe. Dare to be Daniel. Right? I think Daniel would say, I'm in trouble in a place where there shouldn't be any trouble because of you guys down there. Now stop saying my name. First word, investigation. Second word, reception. Third word, intercession. That's verse 17. Daniel goes back to the house, explains the results to his friends. Verse 18, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Right? What's Daniel doing? He said, I don't want anybody to die. The magicians, I don't want to die. Astrologers, I don't want them to die. Necromancers, I don't want to die. Now, just a quick line to think of. Daniel would be noted as a man of prayer all through his life. When did it start? In these early, early years. Now, Daniel and his friends, they begin to pray. 
They're not trying to pray what God's will is. That's already clear. But they're asking for mercy. They want to know the mystery so that they won't be history. That's essentially what they're saying, right? God, we don't want to die. Dear God, what a lovely player. Dear God, will you grant me mercy so we can understand the mystery so we don't have to die and we can give the king what he needs. Amen. Right? They didn't say, oh God, defeat your enemies and let us live. Let all the pagan wise men die. We'll get in and we'll make Judah great again. They didn't say that. They didn't say, okay, God, put our group in charge. And if you put our group in charge, everything will be right. It's just working out great. They're going to die. Just let us live. Everything will be perfect. And they didn't say, this is it. It's time for us to rise up. No, they didn't say any of that. It was, oh God, will you please... And by the way, the Aramaic word for when Daniel walked into the room to urge his friends, it means to surge or boil. In other words, Daniel was making a heartfelt plea to his friends to please pray with me. Please pray to me and ask God. See, we don't want to die. Other people are going to die, God. Please show us mercy. Please show us all mercy. Sinclair Ferguson, commentary on Daniel. This is what he says. Were they, the four boys there, were they self-centered in asking God to come to their aid? No, on the contrary. They sought mercy from God because they recognized they were there as servants of God, appointed servants first. They were young men of destiny who had been placed in Babylon for God's glorious name to be known. It was because their lives was intimately intertwined with God's glory that they sought his mercy in order that his glory might be displayed in Babylon and so the world. Now, do you understand that? What he's saying is their lives were so intertwined with God's glory that that was their chief concern. And they knew that if God would be glorified, that his saving grace would be displayed. Just like at the cross. Now, we need to understand this in ourselves. This is how we, uh, why we were created. Our lives as Christians are intertwined to bring glory to God, to display His grace. So there's no self-centeredness in this prayer. There is, however, a sense of Jesus Christ in this prayer. Remember John 17 in Jesus' priestly prayer? My glory, Father, and your glory, they're intertwined. And I want those you have given me, I want them to see this, and I want them to be in us. In fact, he says at the end of the prayer, I want our love for each other to be in them. And so God answered the prayer of Jesus, and of course, he answered the prayer of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Why did God do it? Well, let's listen to our Bibles, okay? Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. Psalm 50 verse 15. Call on me in the day of your trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. 1 Samuel 2.30. Those who honor me, I will honor. Jeremiah 29.13. You will seek me and you will find me. When you seek me with all your heart. And so in Daniel and his three friends, intercession, it was right in line with the very nature of God. They were praying for mercy so that people could be saved. This was a prayer for life. Why? Ezekiel thirty-three eleven. This is God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. This is your God. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, we might... Secretly do it. God never does it. 
But he goes on to say, rather, that they turn from their ways and live. So Daniel doesn't have some kind of vitriolic, vitriolic spirit, right? Yeah, we're going to do it. No, it's Daniel is, is being what Jesus would be. This is the Spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of Christ. Life. Life. And you see, these kinds of prayers ought to be our native tongue. This, this is our native tongue in our prayer. These prayers are dripping with asking God for mercy so that people could live, so that people could be saved. One last thing before we get to our final point. I mean, you would agree, I would agree, Daniel is quite a young man. Chapter 1, verse 17, uh, he was given by God the grace to understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And there's no doubt that Daniel is aware of this. So, so listen carefully. As he begins to understand the nature of things and he understands what the king's need is, Daniel is not presumptuous at all. He's not saying, oh, okay, I can do this. I've got this gift. I'm going to go right in there and just, and just take it all now. No, what does he do? He's a good boy. He follows lines correctly. I'm going to go to the king, pagan king, I'm going to ask for time, and then I'm going to pray and ask God for mercy. Oh, God, will you please be merciful? And then after God gives mercy, Daniel's going to thank God. That's Daniel's meat and drink. He's not bombastic. He's just being as Jesus Christ would be if Christ was standing in his place. And as you think about prayer and life, isn't it a horrible thing? To, to sit on the sidelines of life, uh, living to the beat of our own drum, speaking our own mind when, with so many people who need the message of the cross and so many people who have never been spoken to or prayed for in light of the cross because you know what? They're pagan. They're wicked. They're evil. It's not that way with God. It's not that way with Jesus. It wasn't that way with Daniel. It shouldn't that be that way with us. There is a dignity and there is a nobility which is being established in this young man's life. And God's grace is the one thing behind it all. He follows the rules. He respects his captors. He does his duty. He stays calm. He speaks carefully. He sets himself to pray. He asks God for mercy. Verse 18, verse 19, and we discover that the God of salvation and the God of all grace, the God of heaven, verse 18 and 19, he's the one behind it all. Now, if you have forgotten or if you have been somehow disillusioned of the necessity of, of private prayer and corporate prayer, and, and if you have forgotten how benevolent and how generous and how merciful God is, then may God grant to you grace right now. May he give you the grace to see this and then live our lives in light of this. Final point, adoration. It makes sense, right? Investigation, reception, intercession. God answers prayer. What do you do when God does something good? You give him the glory due his name. During the night, verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. At nighttime, Nebuchadnezzar's dream is revealed. To quote, Billy Joel, in the middle of the night, right? In the middle of the night. And of course, Daniel's in good company. Peter and Paul and Silas and Jesus, they prayed and they praised God in the middle of the night. Okay, verse 20. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. It's like, yes, 
Here you go, Daniel. Daniel's going to show us how to sing a proper worship song, right? This is it. Daniel's going to show us. And it's a song because you see how this, these verses 20 and 21, 2, 3 are set off? They're set off that way because it's actually a psalm. It's a song. He is declaring, he's actually singing declared truth about God. Daniel's singing theology. And that is the essence of a proper worship song. Sing theology. Sing truth about God so that God can be revealed in order that God will be praised. Do you see that? Okay, it's not about the beat or the rhythm. All that stuff is fine. But this is why we sing. We need to sing theology so that truth about God can be revealed in order that that truth about God and God himself will be praised. Okay, Daniel, what's the first line of your song? Verse 21 God controls all history, theology. He rules the world. The thing, the Christmas song. He changes times and seasons. Do you see that? Those two words are, are purposeful there. These are, the first one's a word about culture. The winds of change in a culture are sent or allowed by God. How culture moves from one line to another. What is in and what is out. God is willing his will through it all. The dynamics of change in a culture are serving eternal purposes. This is why this cultural war stuff is very silly. God can work through all that stuff. And many of us might acknowledge that the winds of change have been blowing. And we are glad they are blowing. Let biblical, orthodox Christianity be revealed. Let cultural, popular Christianity, let it be removed. Because the latter always tries to take personal convictions and turn them into essential doctrine. And they're not. And so we close the door of the gospel to people. But biblical Christianity opens wider and wider and wider and wider the door so that people like pagan kings... And wicked pagan counselors who dabble in darkness so they can be saved. Times, seasons, God, second part of verse 21, he sets up kings and he disposes them. You know this, but it needs to be said out loud. Every president, prime minister, queen, king, tyrant, dictator, despot, Caesar, tribal chief, councilwoman, councilman, senator, congressperson, and on and on. They have for all time and will for all time be placed there and be put there by God to the praise of his glorious grace so that God's purposes can be worked out. So the Christian doesn't have to be frustrated. We don't have to be afraid, but we can praise God and find all the encouragement we might need in this revealed truth about God. So in terms of our own election, the people there that we choose from, God has put them there. You do your duty, you study your choices, and you place your vote with a good conscience. And then whatever happens, like all of us, their time will come. And their time will pass. But the kingdom of God, which is not of this world, which is our true and lasting home, that's it's never going to end. And you see, the original audience, remember the exiles who were reading this letter? They would know that their God is powerful. Listen carefully, please. God's power is not typically first place power on earth. I mean, that's where we make the mistake. We think God's going to power, everything's going to be fine. People have made that mistake in the Old Testament. They make it in the New, and they make it now. God's power is not always first place power. So, okay, God, bring your power, we'll be in first place again. No. 
We better be able to live as a minority group if we have to in this world. And, and if Christians are the minority group, then how does that change anything about anything? Except maybe this. If we're now the minority group, and we used to be the majority group, but now we're the minority group, then will it not help us to have more empathy and sympathy for all those other minority groups that might not think exactly like we do and believe exactly like we do? See? Now we know. Now we're in their shoes. Now we can serve them a little bit better because they're not the majority anymore. Now we're their minority. Don't let that bother you. Be pleased that God's purposes are being worked out. God controls all history. God reveals the mystery. Psalm 139, lies in darkness, God knows. For darkness is as light to God. There's no mystery to God. Nothing is hidden from God. This is easy for God. God rules over history. God reveals mystery. And then finally, he answers perfectly, doesn't he? And of course, not all answers to our prayers are yes, in the sense the yes that we would like. But we thank God that every answer that God gives is best. And here the dream and its meaning is given to Daniel. And Daniel can't stop thanking God. Now we need to get this done. Just let me end this way. I want you to notice between Daniel and what he's saying and what the enchanter said in verse 11, right? They said no one can reveal the dream to the king except the gods and they don't dwell here. In other words, this is an expression of their polytheism. There are all kinds of gods for all kinds of things. I know, king, this is beyond the realm of our training, beyond the realm of our ability. Uh, we, we, we need to dabble in divinity and we're not sure what they're going to do. So... We're going to make the appeal, but we're not sure how it's going to go. Daniel's like, no, those gods have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. There's only one God. He knows everything, end from the beginning, and he's going to tell us. And what was true for them in that time is true for us in our culture. Our friends, when you really listen to them, they're full of talk increasingly about the gods, whether they're gods of travel, the gods of recreation, political power, status, exercise, ease, whatever. It sounds incredible that they could speak that way, knowing that they're going to die. Knowing that there's a God, Romans 1, at least they know that. But when, men and women's hearts, the Bible says, they're darkened. And they, they, when they cease to believe in God, as he's revealed in Jesus, they don't believe in nothing, says the one man, they believe in anything. And here's the thing, the distinctions in biblical orthodoxy, the distinction in biblical truth about God, that he rules history, that he puts people in power, he takes them out, he gives wisdom, he sets times, he sets seasons, he is God of gods, he is Lord of lords, and he has come to judge all men and women and young people on that last day. So you got to listen to Jesus, you got to turn to Jesus and live. You see, those exclusive statements drive people to a choice. And I hope you see the point. Our friends are going to have to make a choice. Either he is one of many and they can play God and pick and choose whatever their need is. They can choose the God they need. Or he is the one and only. And they must bow in adoration, just like Daniel, and submit to his rule. And how hard it is, how hard it is for men and women to humble themselves before God. Now listen carefully. But you see, now we know the story. 
Now we can say, well, look at Nebuchadnezzar. He's terrible. Okay, look at Daniel's God. He is so gracious and powerful. He's wonderful. And this God who rules over all, he wills to save terrible people like Nebuchadnezzar. Because he willed to save terrible people like you and like me. So that we should end this morning thanking God that he, the God of the Bible, the God of history, the God of everything, he is a God of grace. The God of all grace. That's the God we want. That's certainly the God that we need. Let's pray together. Father, will you please have mercy on us this morning as we think about the truth of your word in Daniel 2. We were dead in our sins. We were lost. We, we had no um, desire to know you. And then your grace had to come and do what we could not do for ourselves and changed us and gave us a new heart and a heart that was willing to respond to the gospel and be saved. And now we see your purposes were even way back then to the same end. That you were working everything out so that you could save a wicked king from himself. And Father, we praise you. We praise you and thank you for the stability that the God of all grace you are brings. And we thank you that our times and all time is in your hand. May you have mercy on all of us this morning and bless your people greatly. For Jesus' sake, amen.